Father, when we all, all we have to offer you are dirty rags and 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 the, the the darkness that we were born into, that we perpetuate with the things that we do, all we have to offer you is that you offered your son Jesus. And so we thank you for this Christmas season that we can celebrate the coming of one who grants hope and peace and joy and love that are real and genuine. And so we ask that you would open our hearts to that as we look into your passage this morning, Father, and that you would accept it as worship to you. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated and grab your Bibles. If you didn't bring one, there's Bibles provided for you in in the back of the pews there. So you can follow along in the passage this morning. Lots of us live with the idea that recognition from people means recognition from God. In other words, we live with this notion that the things that we do that make a big splash and get attention from people, it it, it automatically gets attention from God. Our idea is that if it counts for people, then it counts for God. Um. You know, I've mentioned this passage a lot. It's just been really on on my radar recently. But you remember that time when Jesus, he's preaching this long sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And if I preach a sermon that long, somebody would pull me aside and tell me, look, we we want you to be like Jesus, but don't preach as long as Jesus did. Uh, He's preaching this Sermon on the Mount. He's going on and on and on. And as he's landing the plane, he kind of is zeroing in on a couple final last topics. And the the second, right before his conclusion, his last point He says, listen to me, listen to me. Many, many people will come to me on that day. They'll say, "Ah, here I am. It's time to enter into heaven now. I did my life. And they'll say, Lord, we we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We We did many mighty works in your name. And Jesus will tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me. In others, they're at the gate of heaven, like, look at all, look at my resume, look at all the stuff I did. And they're not saying, look at, look at how awesome a ball player I was, or look how great I ex- excelled in my career. They're too spiritual for that. They're saying, I prophesy. Now, there's some debate on what prophecy meant. I think they meant a word from the Lord that, that, you get this word and then you proclaim it. You proclaim something of the Lord to people. So they're, they're preachers, they're proclaimers. Uh, they, they cast out demons. Uh, people are, are having a hard time with this person. They're convulsing, foaming at the mouth. We think this person has demons in them and, and Jesus isn't here anymore. We need some real powerful people. And they come in there and they say, get out of that person. And the demons listen. That's amazing. That's amazing. You think these people were prominent pastors in their day? Do you think they had radio ministries? Do you think they published books? I think they were the, that's the kind of people these guys were. They were very spiritual people, religious people. They were leaders in the church. They had a lot of people's attention. People tithe extra to their church. They do many, many great things for God. And then Jesus says, I don't know you. So I think they confuse recognition from people. Oh, that's great. 
You did, you did awesome stuff. And then Jesus says, but I, don't, but I don't recognize that. I think that's scary. These are great works performed by very gifted and dedicated people, and it didn't count. Um, all those things they collected on their resumes meant nothing in the end. Some of you have heard me explain this before, but I, when I was younger, I used to catch the Twilight Zone Marathon every year. I think it's coming up. And, and there's one particular episode I would catch every year, not un, intentionally. I mean, I didn't have the program. I, I would just come on, and it's one of my, I think it was always one of my favorite. And it's about this bookworm. It was played by Burgess Meredith, Rocky's dad, or the penguin, telling how far back you want to go. And... And he's this really, he's a nerd. He's a book. He loves to read so much. And his wife hated it. His wife was a very domineering type, two times his height, bigger than him. And she'd boss him around. And he just wanted to read. She'd hide books from him, wouldn't allow him to buy books, wouldn't let him go to the library, take the magazines and burn them, whatever. They were at the dinner table, and he's reading the ketchup label over and over because he just has to read. And she's like, what are you doing? Takes it away. At work, he gets in trouble because he's reading instead of working. Like, hey, you're on the clock. He worked at a bank. One day, he couldn't take it anymore. He had to grab some, some books. He just snuck some books out of the house, you know. And he goes to the bank, and he locks himself in the vault. Say, I, I want some quiet time. <laughs> and, and he grabs some stuff. Well, while he's in the vault, there's some kind of nuclear holocaust blast that just decimates the city. He, he experiences the rumble, but he's safe. He gets out of the vault, he walks around, and it's, 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 uh, it's completely trashed. There's the buildings, everything's empty, people are gone, dead, uh, nothing's, no, no one's around. And instead of going into a severe depression for being the loneliest person in the world, he goes, I can finally read. And so he goes to the public library, and on the stoops of the front of the library, he pulls out all these books. He even categorizes them in stacks in terms of, I want to read these, and when I'm done with these, I'm going to read these. When you talk about a voracious reader, this guy's addicted. I mean, he, he amassed these stacks and volumes of books so he could just sit there and read to his heart's content. Now, one thing I did not tell you about this guy is that he had really thick glasses. But, you know, about this thick, I mean, it's... His eyes were like five times their size when he looked through the glasses and they're blinking, you know. And and he's got these glasses and he's going to books and he like trips over one of the books or something. The glasses fall, they shatter. And then Rod Serling comes out and does his, you know, little... (laughs) This man is in the Twilight Zone. All those books he amassed all the time he needed, all the silence he needed, and books as far as the eye can see, and in the end, it meant zero without sight. You can live a very Christian life. You can do many, many great things and have it mean zero in the end without something that needs to be there. The Corinthians wrestled with that idea. There's a a church that Paul planted. And then Paul left, but he kept you know, hearing how they were doing and sending them letters. One of those letters was 1 Corinthians. If you turn there, it's a really popular passage. You hear this passage at weddings, you hear this passage at 
at you know it's on refrigerator magnets it's on bumper stickers whatever um but first corinthians 13 he's 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 writing this letter to this church because they're very gifted some of those guys that end up saying lord lord i did all these great things some of them were probably corinthians the corinthian church well, the corinthians were very into external uh external things the, the entrance to their city was was more ornate and designed than, than the other cities around them uh, they had very famous orators and speakers these guys they would stand up and they throw me a topic you throw them a topic they didn't have you know they didn't have espn and this is what they did they sat around in circles and they would throw the speaker a topic and boom an extemporaneous speech on whatever topic you chose and, oh, oh that's awesome this guy's awesome and so they they love praising great things and great works and, and they, they they loved it and then jesus like he promised gave the holy spirit holy spirit manifests itself in gifting and these guys ex exercise a lot of different gifts but the gifts became the main thing and they were they were missing it amassing a bunch of gifting and talents and, and then missing it so Paul wanted to correct that. Look what he says. You have to actually back up to the last verse of chapter 12. The last verse of chapter 12. And I think they were shocked when they heard this. He says, uh, look, I know you guys have a lot of gifts, and that's great. The gifts come from the Lord. You know, the Spirit gave you those gifts. That's a good thing. He said, verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And he says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Something he says. There's gifts that are like, that's good, and then there's gifts that are that are those are great. First of all, the Corinthians had them backwards, and Paul's kind of rearranging them. I said, but then there's something that does. It's not even on the list. There's something that there's something that exists that if you don't have this, you could just burn the list. It doesn't matter how many gifts. It doesn't matter how many gifts you the Spirit has given you. How well you function in them. How well recognized you are by people around you. How many thank you cards you get. Thank you. For God doing this in your life, I mean, it doesn't matter if you don't have this more excellent way. There is a more excellent way than gifting, than talent, than skills, than a resume. What's that more excellent way? Verse 13, or chapter 13. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. They, these guys, they knew their purpose was to glorify God. They knew they should attend church, be good people, understand that the Spirit gave them gifts, and they want to function in those gifts. People that had the gift of prophecy, they wanted to prophesy. People that had the gift of tongues wanted to speak in tongues. And that's pretty flashy. Uh, that, that's pretty flashy. I mean, as a church, we're, we're, we're open. We understand that these gifts, we don't believe that these gifts are stopped. I've been in situations where I think some, some people just repeating syllables and it just sounds like gibberish but i've been in a place where somebody that's from one country is speaking a, a, a language from some someplace else you can tell it's a language it's amazing it's amazing and they were so in awe of these gifts 
That Wow, listen to the, how that guy prophesied. He's awesome. Well, listen to that guy. He's from this land, and he's speaking a language perfect, perfect, fluent German. And the guy's from Japan. You know, it's something, something so radically different. That's amazing. I say, guys, you, you, can have, you can speak in the tongues of people from other lands. You can speak in the tongues of angels. If you have not love, you're, you're, God is going like this. Oh, just, like, if, like if your kid got a hold of the, the, the drum set and it's, gish, 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 gish. Oh, it's meant for music, but that's not music. I mean, it's just noise. That's how you sound to God. Wait a minute, but everyone at church is going, I'm <laughs> speaking in a different tongue. That's amazing. But God's going, if, it, if you have not love. I think the kicker is you can give away everything that you have. Isn't that what Jesus told the rich young ruler? He said, what should I do? Give away everything you have. And he couldn't do it. But even if you did do it and give away everything, you just became the poorest person on earth and gave all your money to people that need it, it still counts for zero to God. Now, you would be in Time Magazine's 100 top you know, people of the year or whatever. But in God's mind, it amounts to zero if it wasn't done in love. You could give you can be a martyr. Now, Paul, ouch, man, you know, because some of these guys knew Christians that had to be burned or had to be killed because Christianity was heavily persecuted. And you got people sitting in the pews that are missing their loved ones because their loved ones gave their lives for the cause of Christianity. And then Paul's saying, Hey, that's great. But if that person did it without love, that person gained zip. I think it's, you know, he's not listing things that are valueless. He's not saying, you know, makeup, sports, you know, jewelry. No, he's talking about things that the Spirit gives us, things that God wants us to do. I mean, if it comes down to it, if we had to give our bodies to the flames, you know, if somebody held a gun to your head and said, deny Jesus, yeah, in that moment, you want the power of God to say, no, I stand for Jesus, and you sacrifice your life for him. That's that's amazing. And that's commendable, of course. That's That's the most heroic level of faith you can arrive to, but he's not saying those things aren't with, are valueless. They're saying they're valueless without love. Take love out of the equation and you do the same action and it amounts to zero. Nothing we do has value without love. And I think part of the problem is that we Maybe just as a guy, I just, love is kind of corny. You know, if, 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 if you're going to invite me to a movie or tell me to read a book and I go, what's it about? You're like, it's about this guy. <laughs> there's guys all around him and he's getting attacked and, and there's, he has to figure out a way. And I, what does he do? What happens? He loves on them. He, 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 he does things for them. It's amazing. He just loves these people. Yeah, you read it and tell me how it goes. I, I got something to do. I mean, that's not what we prize. When, our, when we take our kids out to Pizza Hut after a game, it's because they won or they hit that home run, not because they lost. And even though that guy cheated, you still played well. You still, you still loved that, that opponent, even though they, they cheated. Here's, here's an MVP trophy for the most loving player. We, don't, you know, we go to school, and you, there's no GPA for love. You get the answers right or you get the answers wrong. And then you've got smart people and then people that are least likely to make it or whatever. But 
but no spot in the ear before most loving person. If they did do that, it'd be kind of like a jab. Like, <laughs> this guy had nothing else to offer, so yeah, I'm a loving person. That's nice. We don't care. It's not manly. It's not macho. It's not cool. It, Paul say if, if this if, if you don't have this it's you you are a zero right? you're a loser you lose out because everything it doesn't matter what you do you can think of the most amazing feats your faith is so great do you say Mount Everest I don't like you there go over there and then boom Mount Everest is there National Geographic is knocking on your door they're like, what is it you're like I have such a great faith and then God goes zero that's crazy. That's a radical shift that I think we need to make, many of us, in our lives. Love is not some feminine little kitty thing. This is, this is serious. This is what God is about. He tells us that we, nothing we do has value without love. Um, and when I read that, I thought, how can you do those things and not love? I mean, why would I give my body to the flames? I'm, how is that not loving? How would I give everything I have to the poor and it's not love? Well, what, what, how is that not a loving act? I think that's why the next few verses are in here. Because he so you have to get, understand what love is. Love is not an action. Love is, a, is the motivation behind an action. Love is not things you do. Love is a thing that you are that produces the things you do. In other words, I could give a bunch of stuff to, the, to, to a hospital. But secretly inside, I'm just like, when are they going to name that the Lucas O'Neill wing? A kid can walk an old lady across the street. He might, he might walk across the street because he goes, look at the frail old lady. She may not even make it before the light turns. And this, this truck is coming. It's, it's Memorial Day weekend. There's drunks out. Let me help the lady across so she can get there safely. Or he could be like, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I need to get this merit badge for my troop. And I need to do something for the day. Well, there's an old lady. Maybe I could do that. And all he's thinking is badge. Now, Either way, she appreciates it. Either way, the Boy Scout troop is great, man. But in one scenario, God's going, you missed it. And in the other scenario, God's going, that's what I'm talking about. So it's not the action. It's a state of being that produces the action. Look what he says in the next couple of verses, 4 through 7. He says, love is patient and kind. Let's, let's pause there for a second. You can't do patient things. You just have to be a patient person. He's not talking about doing things that seem kind to people. He's talking about being a kind person. Love is kind. Love doesn't just do things that look kind. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You see what Paul is doing? He's saying, the Corinthians are already, okay, I got to make a checklist. I can give my body to the flames, check. I can give away everything I have, check. I could be really good at prophecy, check. What is it? Love people? Uh, I'll do a few loving things this week, check. No, you can't do that. This is not another thing to add to the checklist. This makes the whole checklist either valuable or empty of value. It's not something you just do. Tuesday, Tuesday at 2 o'clock, I'll love. No, you, it's something you, you are. 
and it produces. He's using this list. Think of, love is not arrogant. That's not something you can... Today, I'm going to do not arrogance. No, you, you're either arrogant or you're not. You're either humble or you're proud. You, you boast or you don't, but it's a state of being that produces those things. So while we're trying to, okay, Lord, what are some things I could do this Christmas to be loving? What can I do in my life to be more loving? It's the wrong question. The question is, how do I become a loving person so that everything I do, use my gifts, uh, prophesy, have faith, pray, serve in the church, those things count because I'm, I'm loving. I'm doing them because I love. And he, he uses that list to, to pull us away from that way of thinking. Um, it's a matter of a change of being. And I think, guys, if you know, you could take 1 Corinthians 13 and pluck it out of the whole book. You could preach it anywhere and you'll get an applause. You know, preach it at a mosque. You'd be like, yes, Allah, yes, love, whatever. Well, maybe not the extremists. I don't know. We could take 1 Corinthians 13 to uh, a cult that knows nothing of Christ. They'd be, yes, yes, loving. That's, that's great. You could take this passage and preach it in a synagogue. And they'd be like, yeah, that's true, true. God is a God of love. Because we're not taking it to where it's specifically Christian. But Paul does. You know, this, this whole book mentions the name Christ 55 times. That's second place only to the book of Romans. So aside from Romans, there's no other book in the Bible that says the word Christ more than this book. If you just flip through it and scan with your eyes, Christ, 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 it's everywhere. And then a couple chapters later in chapter 15, he talks about the resurrection of Christ's guys. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, everything is, we, Christianity is a big fat joke. Without Christ, Christianity is a big fat joke. It means nothing. You can sit in pews and, and sing songs and, and preach out of texts, ancient texts, and it means nothing without Christ. So Paul's not talking about a warm, fuzzy feeling. He's not talking about when you go to a, a Hollywood movie and you see these two people on screen, you're like, oh, and they each love each other. These are, these are not, Paul's talking about a love that only God can put in a person's life. It's a Christ-purchased love. Um, reading the whole, if this chapter's read in the whole context, uh, you, that, that becomes so obvious. Um, remember how Paul starts this out and said, if you do this and do that and do that, it amounts to nothing. When I read that, my mind raced back to John 15 when he tells him, I'm the vine, you're the branches, guys. If you pluck a branch away from the vine, you wither and die. A branch can't do anything without the vine. What do I mean by that? I mean, apart from me, you can do nothing. Direct quote. I think Paul is, that's in Paul's mind. Apart from Christ, we can't do anything. And he's saying, he's, he's putting it in a way where he's trying to name that sort of DNA, that juice that flows from the vine into the branch. What is that, what is that chlorophyll? What is that green stuff that makes a branch alive versus a branch that's brown and withered? What is that green stuff that, it, it's love. But it's a Christ love. It, it's a love that, it's Christ's DNA. It's not love that you just drum up. It's not love that, that you, that 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 is uh, you could read a just a nice romantic novel and those are just kind of shadows of the real thing. And so I think he's talking about specifically a Christian. If you're not a believer, you don't know Christ. You can't you can't get in line with what he's talking about here. Um, in Second Corinthians, uh, the, another letter that he wrote to the same group, 
He said, the love of Christ controls me. You know, why do I do what I do? It's because the love of Christ controls me. Not just love in general, the love specifically of Christ. So this, this is something that has to, we have to take this to the cross, guys. This, this, is, this is, you're not loving somebody because you, it's a duty to love somebody or you just have to or because the preacher said so. You love somebody because you're so changed on the inside that you love that person. You are a loving person. How does that change happen on the inside? You've got somebody you need to forgive and you just can't love them enough to forgive them. But the Bible says to forgive. Well, how do you get there? Well, you can't. You can't get there. That's why we need Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That little baby sitting there, that, that, that represents hope and peace that, that we can't get if he didn't come. And so Paul's saying you need to adopt this kind of radical, life-changing, world-altering love, and you can't get it if you don't know Christ. What's the purpose of the Spirit giving you guys spiritual gifts and, and giving you guys resources and talents so you could do great things? It's, it's so that you can love the world through Christ, so you can proclaim Christ, so you can be like Christ. And so we miss it if we miss Jesus. And nothing we do in this life has any value if we don't do it with the love of Christ. No value. And the last thing he explains to us is why this love is so important. Why is it so key? Love outlasts everything else. Look at what he says in the last few verses. We'll read them briefly. He says, beginning verse 8, he says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What's he saying? He's saying out of all the things, all the things you could be gifted with, knowledge, faith, uh, prophecies, tongues, all these things that you could be gifted with, these awesome things, these attention-getting things, uh, which are great, but all those things are temporary. They don't last. I mean, one of the purposes behind speaking in tongues is so people can see, wow, God is real. God is supernaturally giving somebody some, a message in a different tongue, and that, that's amazing. But we're, we're in God's presence. We don't need those signs. What's the point of prophecy? The, pro the point of prophecy is, look, God is over here, and I have a word from him, and I'm going to give it to you. But when we're all in God's presence, we don't need to do that. He said even the gift of knowledge, we can read as much scripture, memorize it, ingest it, cut it up, learn it. But it's like we're looking in a mirror in a mirror dimly. I have this really cheapy mirror in my bathroom, and it's there just out of habit now because it's so messed up that I just see a, a foggy form of myself. But it doesn't help shaving. It, it's, it's too... In, in the, back in those days, that's what mirrors were like. It was just like polished metal. It didn't give an exact form. You kind of would see yourself in there dimly. He's saying our knowledge now is like that. But when we're face to face with God, the knowledge will be full. And so all the gifts that we're practicing now are partial. They're temporary. Some of them will just be, not, will be useless then. But not love. Love is now. Love will always be. 
Love is not partial now and then full later. Love can be experienced fully now. That's amazing. Because what's going to define your relationship with God for all eternity is not faith. Now granted, you can't know Christ apart from faith. You believe on Christ, that's how you get saved. But that faith is not going to determine or, or uh, define your relationship with God for eternity. Why? Because faith is not seeing God and believing is there. Not being able to put your finger in Christ's side and, and really have Jesus sit down with a meal at a meal with you and, and explain. You don't see Jesus, but you believe in him. That's faith. But when we're face to face with Jesus, faith is not necessary anymore. You're not walking with him by faith. You're walking with him right there in front of you. He says, so faith, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is greater than faith because faith is not going to be necessary anymore. Love is greater than hope because once hope is realized, it's not there anymore. You know, it's kind of like in 2004, I'm like, I'm hoping that the Red Sox win the World Series. I'm hoping. And then it happens, and it's like, okay, what do we do now? You know, we're used to being losers. We're used to kind of like always getting to the cusp and then not making it. We're used to kind of it's just like something happened. The ball went between the guy's legs and there, there goes the game. Cubs fans. <laughs> Next year, you guys take over. You take it all the way. And then it's like all the posters and T-shirts, the lovable loser, lovable, whatever, you know, that the trash. Now we have to redefine ourselves. We're not the guys that are just always hanging in there. Because we arrived. He's saying hope, Christians have this hope, and it's something in front of us. When I get to heaven, when I finally get there, when my body is finally renewed, when I don't struggle with diabetes anymore, when I don't have it. And then suddenly we get there. Hope is not there anymore because it's realized. Love is not like that. Love doesn't run out. Love doesn't, is not something now and then becomes something else later. Love defines your relationship with God forever. And we don't have to wait to experience it. We experience it now. This is the DNA of a Christian. This is that juice that flows through the vine. This is what makes you do what you do. If you do things for another reason, it's empty. It's without value. Nothing we do for God has value without the love of Christ. Um, My professor at Gordon-Conwell, Haddon Robinson, I don't like to steal other people's illustrations, but I had to. It's pretty good. He he was preaching a message, and he had every, he had everybody grab their bulletins and turn it over. I'm not going to make you do it, but he pulled out a pen. He said, "Pull out a pen and write write a zero down. What do you have? Nothing. Okay, make a whole row of zeros right across the page. Zero, 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 zero. Now what do you have? I mean, you amassed a bunch of zeros. What do you have? Well, I still don't have anything. Well, make another row. Do another row underneath that of just zeros, and then do another row." And then do another, he made a fill up, it was a whole page of zeros. What do you have? I don't have anything. I take that pen and go back in front of the first zero and just put a one. What do you have? Suddenly value skyrockets. What God is telling the Corinthian church and what God is telling us through this passage, you can amass a bunch of stuff in your life that looks great to people. And you have a lot of gifts and you have a lot of resources and a lot of things that God has enabled you with, gifted you with, given you as resources, spiritual gifts, natural talents, money, ideas, creativity. I mean, God has given you so much as a church. But it all amounts to a big fat zero if it's not done in love. And that's not a childish thing. 
He says, I understood this when I grew up. I spoke as a child and eventually we'll come to a point of maturity where we realize this is, this is it. Everything that faith and knowledge is trying to point us to is this DNA between us and God. It's the love of Christ. This passage points us to a place where we stop downplaying love. Like love is this side thing. I would love to see pastoral interviews where there's a little bit less maybe about what professors did you have. And by the way, the interview that I had here was awesome. Especially in contrast to other interviews that I had. And then being on an executive committee at the Senate and, and doing some of these things kind of like, is there a way that we can pull aside from the resume and get at the court? Is this a loving person? I want to know that. This person is supposed to function on the behalf of Jesus Christ for the church. I want to know, is he loving? Or is she loving? It's a little bit harder to ascertain, but I think we do the easy stuff. And let's just look at the resume. Where do you go to school? Who's his professor? What does he believe? Can he agree to this doctrinal statement or not? That's easy. Love is the hard work. I'm going to ask um, Mike to come forward and the ushers as well. We're going to take communion together. Um, In this passage, Paul's teaching us that um, he's not saying, guys, stop doing great things. He, he's saying, no, do great things, but what makes them great is love. And Romans 5.8 tells us that this is how we know God loves us, that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. That's what this represents.